Hey everyone, it's Marielle. And before we get to the show, I want to warn you. What you are about to hear contains explicit language, adult themes, and may not be suitable for all listeners. Discretion is strongly advised. Enjoy the show. Welcome, welcome on this back. day or night of the year 2020. Yes, it is. A, we're already four days in, depending on when you're listening. Oh, God. And a lot of shit has gone down. <laughs> it's bad. Off to a great start, <laughs> you guys. Literally we're doing, burning. We're doing <clears throat> great stuff. Good job. Good job, everybody. Great. World War Three, Australia fires. I think it's just like everyone's trying. It's like, okay, it's a new year. Everyone wants it to be such a fresh slate when it's like, it doesn't matter when things happen. It's like, it's it carries over. And it's been happening. Look, look at our history books. Oh, no. Yes. Did you see my notes? No. Okay, sitting right there. I didn't. Um, woohoo. So, happy new year. Happy Thank 2020. Thank you for coming back. Thank you for not leaving us in 2019. Oh, yeah. You're the real ones. And if you're new, this is episode 10. So if you're new, you have nine more episodes to catch up on. So welcome. Enjoy. Um, Who went first last time? Oh, gosh. I think that was me. It doesn't matter, though. If you don't want to go first, I can go. Yeah, go. Okay. Let me chug some water real quick. Oh, look at Petey. Our assistant dog, Petey, is here. She's probably the cutest thing ever to exist. So my disclaimer is um, I started working on this episode at um, approximately if there's four. A- so I started the story four hours ago. It's been a weird couple days. I'm sleep deprived. But she's driving in a brand new whip, y'all. Ooh, I got joiny. It's sexy. I haven't. It hasn't sunk in yet, but. I was at that dealership for like five hours yesterday, and I should have brought my fucking computer to work on this shit, but I didn't. Right. Um, so I was picking, looking at stories last night, and um, I found this story, and I was like, oh, um, this is an old-timey one, and it's pretty controversial, and I like it. And, you know, usually with old-timey ones, it's like there's not usually a shit ton of information, but this story involves like eight people, seven other men, one woman. It got real convoluted real quick. So, I really hope that this story makes sense. There were a lot of names. I pulled out chunks of shit because it didn't really centralize the lady that I'm trying to write about, or the woman. So, we'll see. I probably got some shit wrong, but that's okay. Correct me, please, because, like I said, I threw this together, and it was a story that needed, like, three days. Anyway. Alright, so... As I said, I have another old-timey involving the assassination of a president. <gasps> so, Mary Elizabeth Jenkins, later Surratt, was born in Waterloo, Maryland in May 1820 or 1823. She married John Harrison Surratt in 1840, S-U-R-R-A-T-T, Surratt. And they had three children together. Mary was arrested and convicted of being involved in the conspiracy to assassinate President Abraham Lincoln. Ooh. Interesting story. Like I said, shit ton of information. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> we'll see I'm what happens. Excited. This it's a good I one. I love it. Um, so John Surratt was an entrepreneur who owned a lot of farmland, a hotel, an inn, a tavern, and in Surrattsville, Maryland. So they had like this town named after them. Didn't do any research on that. So the Surratt family were sympathizers of the Confederate State of America, which was a temporary unrecognized republic of like seven slave owning, um, slave holding states Boo. from 1861, yeah, to 1865. Shame, shame, and shame. Without saying, uh, Surratt's owned enslaved human beings, reportedly six or more. Fuck you. Shame. She's kind of on... John died suddenly of a stroke in 1862 or 1863. A lot of ors with dates. Um, His death left the family in a difficult financial situation. His estate and businesses were obviously left to Mary, like for her to manage, and then somehow warranted the kids, John Jr. and Anna. They only referenced two kids. I don't know what happened to the third. Anna to leave um, school to help their mom with the businesses and the farm, all the farmland they had. Um, but Mary got real sick and tired of managing everything and everyone. So like without help at all. So she moved to a townhouse in Washington, D.C. and began running said townhouse as like a boarding house, which and like that's probably like a hostel. Right. Yeah. So while she was uh, managing that boarding house, she met John Wilkes Booth, who, as we all know, was the man who assassinated Abraham Lincoln. So Booth would visit the boarding house often, as would George um, Atzerdot. Who, but anyway, he was a fellow conspirator of John Wilkes Booth, who was assigned to assassinate Vice President Andrew Johnson. Who? <laughs> <laughs> who would later become the President of the United States because of said action. And also, uh, Lewis Powell would visit, a.k.a. Lewis Payne, who attempted to assassinate the U.S. Secretary of State, William H. Seward, in 1865. Mm-hmm. I know some of these words. <laughs> um... So those three dudes visited Mary Surratt's boarding house a lot shortly. And I got every single bit of this information I'm saying to you right now from Wikipedia. I didn't go to any other place because I had four hours in my brain. So anyway, (laughs) quote, shortly before leaving Washington to kill Lincoln, Booth spoke with Mary and handed her a package containing binoculars for one of her tenants, John M. Lloyd, who was a bricklayer and a police officer in D.C. And his name comes up a lot. Some scholars have some theories about the Surratt family's like abrupt move from Surrattsville, their land, to a townhouse in D.C. So historians Kate Larson and Joy Roy Chamley have noted that even though there's like no definitive proof, um, a case that can be made um, that Surratt made the move into the city in furtherance of like the conspiracy and espionage, there's no proof. But mm-hmm. it's like she had no money and was suddenly moving into a 10-bedroom townhouse that she would have to like furnish and a couple other scholars shared that John Surratt Jr. wrote a letter in 1864 to Louis J. Weichmann, who was one of the chief witnesses in the prosecution of the trial of these alleged conspirators in the assassination of Lincoln. This John Weichmann was also previously a suspect due to his involvement with the Surratt family. And from Wikipedia, quote, observing that the family's plans to move into the city were advancing rapidly on account of certain events having turned up, perhaps a cryptic reference to either Confederate activities in general or the conspiracy to kidnap or kill Lincoln. It's a lot. Um, So now, like, to the actual conspiracy. Um, So that guy, Lewis 
Payne, I think it was, that I told you about, mm-hmm. that moved into the Surratt boarding house. Um, he moved in November 1st, 1864. And then on December 23rd, 1864, Dr. Samuel Mood, who was another alleged conspirator, introduced John Jr. to John Wilkes Booth. And he would later recruit John Jr. Um, in his conspiracy to kidnap Abe Lincoln. So because of that meeting, John Wilkes Booth tried to recruit John Jr. Um, so Confederate agents began f- um, frequenting Mary's house, as did Booth, and like sometimes at the request of Mary, allegedly. Um, George um, Atzerott, and Lewis Powell began staying at the boarding house for brief periods of time. Um, both co-conspirators of Lincoln, I mean, both co-conspirators of kidnapping of Lincoln, um, David Harold, who was an accomplice in the assassination, also stayed at the boarding house. Whoa. Many times. So you kind of get where this like is the going. Trap house. Yeah. <laughs> Of 1854, <laughs> whatever it is. So, as part of the plan to kidnap um, Abraham Lincoln in March 1865, John Wilkes Booth, George Azarot, and David Harold hid two Spencer carbines, which is like a type of gun at that time, ammo, and other supplies at the Surratt Tavern in Surrattsville. So, they hid all that shit in the Surratt's Tavern. On May 11th, Mary Surratt rented a carriage and um, drove it to the Surratt Tavern. She said that she made a trip to collect debt owed to her by a former neighbor, but, you know, according to another tenant who was named John Lloyd, um, remember his name comes Mm -hmm. up a lot, Surratt told him to, quote, get the shooting irons um, ready to be picked up. So, like, you know, get those guns ready for Uh me to pick up. On April 14th, Mary said that she would once again visit the family tavern in Surrattsville to collect a debt. Um, But shortly before she left the city, John Wilkes Booth visited the boarding house and spoke privately with her. He gave her a package, later found out to be those binoculars, um, for John Lloyd to pick up. And um, Mary did. And according to John Lloyd, yeah, Mary told Lloyd to have those shooting irons ready to be picked up and handed him a wrapped bag from Booth. So all that shit was people are figuring that out. Um, so John Wilkes Booth's plan was to assassinate President Abe Lincoln and have George Azarot kill Vice President Andrew Johnson and Lewis Powell kill Secretary of State William H. Seward. Um, Booth killed Lincoln, right? Yeah. George Azarot never attempted to kill Andrew Johnson. Hmm. And, um, Lewis Powell stabbed, um, Secretary of State repeatedly but failed to kill him. So... As the three men, you know, kind of fled uh, after Lincoln's assassination, John Wilkes Booth and David Harold picked up the rifles and binoculars from the Surratt's Tavern. Yeah. So now on to the arrests and incarceration. So on April 15th, 1865, at around 2 a.m., Washington, D.C. police visited Mary's house looking for John Wilkes Booth and John Jr. It's unknown by historians why police... And not federal agents went to the house, though. So within, quote, 40 minute, 45 minutes of the attack on Lincoln, John Surratt's name had been associated with the attack on um, Secretary of State William H. Seward. The police, as well as the provost marshal's office, both had files on John Surratt Jr. and knew he was a close friend of Booth. Other sources claim that witnesses had identified Booth as Lincoln's attacker and the detective, detectives had information um, 
where they got the tip from like an unnamed actor and another bartender, linking John Jr. to Booth. Mary lied to the detectives that her son um, had been in Canada for two weeks. She also did not reveal that she had a had delivered a package to the tavern on Booth's behalf, like, mm-hmm. just hours before. So, information was going around that um, the Surratt uh, boarding house hostel place was the key meeting spot for the alleged conspirators. So, oh, yeah. Quote, either Colony... I'm sorry. <laughs> either Co- Colonel Henry Wells, um, Provost Marshal, head of the military police of D.C., or General Christopher C. Auger told Colonel Henry Steele... Olcott, see, there's a shit ton of names, to arrest everyone in the house. (laughs) Federal soldiers visited the Surratt boarding house again late evening of April 17th, but they couldn't find John Jr. So they had everyone arrested, but John Jr. was missing. So, boop, beep, bloop, bleep. The agents found in Mary's room a picture of Booth, which I'm like, hmm. Hidden behind another photograph um, was pictures of Confederate uh, leaders, including Jefferson Davis, um, a pistol was found, a mold for making bullets, and percussion caps, which I don't know what those are, the silencers. You're a good girl. So as Mary was being arrested for conspiracy to assassinate Lincoln, um, Lewis Powell appeared at her door in disguise. Apparently he was, like, pretty clean-shaven. <laughs> Although uh, Mary denied knowing him, he claimed that he was a laborer from Surratt, or I'm sorry, hired by Surratt to dig a ditch um, the following morning. The discrepancy and Lewis Powell's unusually well-groomed appearance, <laughs> quite unlike a ditch digger, prompted uh-huh. his arrest. We were like, we know it's you. Yeah. <laughs> he was later identified as the man who attempted to assassinate Secretary of State. So, after Mary's arrest, she was held at an annex of the old Capitol prison before being transferred to Washington Arsenal. Two armed guards stood by her um, outside her cell from the very beginning of her imprisonment until the end. So here's a description of her cell, if you're interested. Her cell, while airy and larger than the others, was sparsely furnished with a straw mattress, table, wash basin, chair, and a bucket. Food was served four times a day. Always bread, salt, pork, beef, salt, pork, beef, or beef soup, and coffee or water. Sounds That's great. about the same as today, only more meals. Right. <laughs> so the um, other arrested conspirators, conspirators um, like, I, I copy and pasted this because I don't know how any other way to wear that. So other conspirators had their heads enclosed in a padded canvas bag to prevent them from suicide. So they were in prison like that. Whoa. Um, some sources disagree as to whether uh, Mary was forced to wear it. And there was also some discrepancy in whether or not she was actually wearing those um, mon- monocles, like the cuffs around your ar- your legs and uh, hands, uh-huh. feet and ankles. Some say she was, some say she wasn't. So Mary also began to suffer like severe menstrual like cramps and bleeding and stress. So oh, no. she got really, really sick and really, really weak during the time she was in prison. Um, so they gave her a rocking chair and allowed her visits from her daughter, Anna. Um, Anna comes in through the end. Mary and Lewis Powell received the most attention from press. The Northern press was also super critical of her, claiming that she had a, quote, criminal face <laughs> because um, of her small mouth and dark eyes. Third. <laughs> yep. John Surratt Jr. Um, was in Elmira at the time of the assassination, 
delivering messages on behalf of the Confederate general. And then after he learned of Lincoln's death, he um, fled to Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Uh. Now the trial. On May 9th, 1865, the trial with a military tribunal began. They chose that over a civilian court because of its leniency against evidence. Hmm. Yeah. So all eight alleged co-conspirators were tried simultaneously. Damn. Right? Surratt just kept, I mean, Mary, yeah, Mary Surratt just kept getting really, really sick, and she was moved to a more comfortable cell. Whatever that means. I don't have a description. So Mary was charged with um, abetting, aiding, concealing, and counseling, and harboring her co-defendants. The federal government initially tried to find her legal counsel for her and the southern other people, but almost no attorneys were willing to take the case because they were um, afraid of being accused of disloyalty to the union. Yeah. So Mary retained um, Reverdy Johnson as her legal counsel, and he was a member of the military commission trying the conspirators. Mary was able to hire Reverdy Johnson as her legal counsel. A member of the military commission who was trying the conspirators um, challenged um, her attorney's right to defend her and object. He had objected to requiring loyalty oaths from um, voters in 1864 presidential election. And then after they discussed it, discussed it, mm-hmm. this objection was withdrawn. Um, but the damage has been done and her lawyer didn't attend most of the hearings. Oh, damn. Yeah. Uh, so most of Mary's legal defense was presented by two other lawyers, Frederick Aiken and John Wesley Clampett. Hmm. Yeah. So she got fucked over. I, I mean, mean hey. Yeah. So the prosecution's strategy was to connect Mary to the conspiracy. Lewis Powell arrived at the boarding house three days after the assassination was like V sus, mm-hmm. like very suspicious. Um, the prosecution presented nine witnesses, but relied on the testimony of John Lloyd and Lewis Weichman. They both sang like birds and testified everything. Other witnesses reinforced Lewis Weichman's testimony, so... It all lined up. There was a fuck ton of information about the trial because, like, you know, there's eight people. Yeah. Um. So I skipped a bunch of it. The trial ended on June 28th, 1865. She was, Mary was so sick at this time that she spent the last four days in her cell of the trial. So she didn't even go to trial the last four days. Damn. Um. So both sides reportedly had flaws. The government didn't fully invis- investigate John Wilkes Booth's meetings with Mary. And apparently cross-examination was weak. Um, John Jr. was also on the run, so no one has been able to talk to him or anything. The military tribunal um, considered guilt and sentencing on June 29th and 30th. Mary's um, guilt was the second last to be considered, as her case had um, problems of, like, evidence and witness reliability. So finally, there was a sentence on June 30th. She was found guilty on all charges except for harboring and concealing the assassination um, conspirators. Hmm. Wow. But she was found for aiding and abetting. So a death sentence required um, six of the nine votes of the judges at this time. Mary was sentenced to death, and she was the first woman executed by the federal government. The sentence was announced publicly on July 5th, 1865. When Lewis Powell learned of the sentence of Mary, um, he declared that she was completely innocent of all charges. And the night before the execution, Mary's priests and her daughter, Anna, um, both visited Lewis Powell and elicited from him a strong statement declaring she was innocent. Um, But even though it was delivered to Captain Christian Rath, um, who was overseeing the whole execution, 
Lewis's statement had like zero effect on um, any like in, to prevent her death. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't care. George Azarot um, bitterly condemned her, implicating her even further in the conspiracy. Um, Lewis Powell Powell was the only statement by any of the conspirators exonerating Mary. Yeah, so he was the only one, like, standing up for her. Like, no, she's innocent. Yeah, Everyone she was else. probably just John Wilkes' girlfriend. Yeah, your friends can come stay. Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't know. Who knows? She could have been. Um, so Anna, her daughter, pleaded to um, Judge Advocate General Joseph Holt for her mother's life, but he refused to grant clemency. Anna also attempted to see Andrew Johnson by... But he refused to see her. Like, fuck no. Y'all try to have me killed. So five of the nine judges signed a letter asking President Johnson to give Mary clemency and commute her sentence to life in prison um, because of her age and sex. Like, that was a quote. Holt did not um, deliver the recommendation until July 5th, two days before Mary and the others were set to hang. Um, Andrew Johnson signed the order, signed the order for execution, but did not sign the order for clemency. Um, he later said he never saw the clemency request. Holt said he showed it to Johnson, who refused to sign it. So, so um, Andrew Johnson, according to Holt, said in signing the death warrant that she had quote kept the nest that hatched the egg end quote. Whoa, <laughs> harsh. That's just like. <laughs> So after the execution orders for everyone were signed, the construction for the gallows immediately started. At noon on July 6th, Mary was informed she would be hanged the next day on July 7th. Mary wept profusely, and Anna, Anna, her daughter, attempted one last time to beg for her mother's life by going directly to the White House. Uh, You can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. She was rejected. (laughs) Sorry. At 11 a.m. on July 7th, soldiers began testing the gallows. Which how, how psychologically damaging is that to hear that shit firing? And uh. it's like, um, Mary was like still super sick and in a lot of pain. And my computer just died. I gotta uh. ch- plug it in. <laughs> <laughs> shit! Yeah, didn't you try to do it? Just do it from memory. God! <laughs> this fucking complicated ass this old is... ass case. <laughs> Dude, how many names have I said? At least 17. Like five Johns. <laughs> There's a hell out of a lot of Johns. I'm naming the episode John Wilkes Trap House. <laughs> yeah. Because it... Well... But that's basically what fucking it Andrew fucking Johnson was. said. The egg that hatched the whatever the fuck nest. The nest that hatched the egg. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she... Yeah. Which is interesting why they... She wasn't found guilty of the harboring. All right. So... So on July 7th, 1865 at 1.15 p.m., um, General Hart to let a procession escorted, um, let a procession of the four condemned prisoners through the courtyard and up the steps to the gallows. Each prisoner had um, those man, those, they were all like locked up, like, mm-hmm. and had cuffs on their ankles and feet. Um, Mary led the way wearing a black dress, black bonnet, and a black veil. More than a thousand people, including government officials and members of the Armed forces, uh, friends and family of the accused, official witnesses, and reporters watched. Um, apparently that there was only like 200 tickets printed. Like they had tickets for the shit. Whoa. The order of the execution was read. And while it was being read and everything, Mary had to be supported in her chair due to like the pain and feeling sick. And like, of course, the fear of everything going on. Oh. Duh. Um, she was seated 
um, to the right of the others, which was is called like the traditional seat of honor hmm. in an execution. White cloth was used to bind like their arms to their sides um, and their ankles and their thighs together. You can't like grab Holy and move everything. Yeah. The cloths around Mary's legs uh, were tied just like below her knees. Each person was ministered by a member of a clergy. And then from the scaffold, Lewis Powell said, Mrs. Surratt is innocent. She doesn't deserve to die with the rest of us. Father Jacob and Father Wigette prayed over her and held a crucifix to her lips. After 16 minutes um, from the time they entered to the time they were ready. So they had to be up there for 16 minutes. Um, a, a white bag was placed over the head of each prisoner after the noose was put in. Mary's bonnet was removed. And the noose was put around her neck by the U.S. Secret Spite by a U.S. Secret Service officer. She complained that the biting of her arms hurt, and the officer said, well, it won't hurt long. Mm. Um, the chairs were removed. Her last words spoken to a guard as he moved for moved her forward to the drop were, please don't let me fall. Oh. I know. So uh, they had it in great detail. I'm skipping the detail. Um, but her neck didn't break, and she just hung there, swinging back and forth for, like, about five minutes. Fucking yeah. assholes. Eventually until her larynx collapsed and everything then she died those that were there described her death as like the roughest each body of the people who were executed um, was examined by a doctor to confirm death and while they were hanging there for 30 minutes the night mary was executed a mob of people attacked her boarding house and like freaking stripped it down of everything for like souvenirs Anna Surratt, her daughter was not successful in getting her mom's body for like a number of years um I think four years, but it was finally turned over to her and she was buried and Mary Surratt was buried in Mount Olivet Cemetery in Washington, D.C. on February 9th, 1869. Anna Surratt was ostracized from society and she suffered like quite a bit mentally and physically from just everything. Shit. Yeah. Do you know how old she was when it happened? No, probably 16 or 34. <laughs> so Mary Surratt's boarding house actually still stands. Um, it was added to the historic registry in 2009, but it's now a restaurant in Chinatown. What the fuck? So that was the story of Mary Surratt, the first woman executed by the federal government for conspiracy of killing Abraham Lincoln. That was a lot. Learned that in history class. Oh, God. Good thing you're not paying for this. <laughs> I think I'm going to read mine from my laptop this time so that I can be... Let me just sit here because I got... uh, A long one? I don't think it'll be long, but it's intense. God. You might, because I cried a couple times. Me that. Alrighty. So are you ready to hear the story of Darlie Routier and the murders of her sons, Devin (gasps) and Damon? I think I... I know talking about in Rowlett, Texas. So they were this young family. It was it was Darley, Darren, her husband, and then they had Devin, who was I think seven years old. Damon was four or five, and then they had a three-month-old named Drake. Neighbors described them as like just a typical family. They were really fun to be around. Darlie was a stay-at-home mom. She was viewed by those who knew her as a very doting mother. Their house was kind of the gathering place in the neighborhood. All the kids wanted to come there. One of the neighbors said she always had popsicles and goodies for them. And she was just a real fun, loving, caring person. Skip Hollingsworth, 
a journalist from the Texas Monthly, I think. He's pretty well known. He said she wasn't that different than a lot of Dallas women at the time. She had cherry lipstick, frosted hair, painted nails. She mm. She's really a cute, cute. She and Darren met in Lubbock. He worked with her mom in a steakhouse. And one day he went up to her mom and said, I heard you have a beautiful daughter. And they, it was like love at first sight. Darren said, people would fall over when they see her. She walked in the room and I was smitten. She never realized that. She never knew it, is what he said. Like, she didn't know how pretty she was. And her mom was like, I think she got pregnant with Devin on the honeymoon. Because, you know, nine months later, there he was. Oh. Um, And they were... Pretty successful for being in their early 20s, getting married and starting a family because Darren started this company called Testnec and they made circuit boards, which I think is some sort of computer thing. And this Mm -hmm. was like nice. So they purchased a $130,000 home in Rowlett and it was like 90s $130,000. So this is like a $600,000 house. It's beautiful. I wish. Um, Do they have pictures of it? Yeah. It looks kind of like the Draper house on Mad Men. Like, honestly, it looks identical to that very stately brick with the white. So, this is something that I'm only pointing out because it's relevant to the trial. Darren loved taking care of Darlie. And she, one thing that he did for her was uh, paid for her to get some fucking amazing boobies, okay? These boobies are amazing. (laughs) Um, I thought you were going to say men. No. He paid for her to get her boobs done and... She's just, there's videos of her, like, walking on the beach, and it looks like videos of Marilyn Monroe. It's just, like, this classic woman just walking. Ugh, beautiful. So they seemed like they had everything until one night in June 1996. Darren took the baby upstairs and went to bed, but Darlie and the boys camped out on the couch. She said, you know, they had popcorn, they had a bunch of blankets, it was just something they did sometimes, and the boys wanted to do it. Um, then sometime in the middle of the night, around like two in the morning, Darlie's woken up by Damon touching her arm and asking for help. And she opened her eyes and saw the outline of a man and heard glass break. So she starts to follow him and heads towards the kitchen where she sees there's a knife on the floor. She picks it up and puts it on the counter. And then she notices Devin is laying on the ground face up. And so she starts yelling. She's yelling for Darren and Darren said in an interview on 2020, like, whenever he got to the bottom of the stairs, she was just, like, just total panic, just yelling, Devin, 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 Devin. Mm-hmm. Like, just couldn't make words, just screaming. And then um, Darren comes on the hall and he notices Damon across the room on his tummy. So they call 911 um, to Dallas County, Texas dispatch. Uh, neighbors are hearing the chaos and they thought that Darlie was also dead. Um, one of, it was, it was Devin who was pronounced dead on the scene. Damon died four hours later. Darlie was rushed to surgery at Baylor University Medical Center. She had a deep gash on her arm, like to the bone. She had a gash on her neck, like someone had tried to slit her throat and then just bruises, like humongous, just like black and blue bruises all up her arm. Like the gash in her neck nearly missed her carotid artery by just like a millimeter. Um, And she had cuts on her hand. Um, At the crime scene, there was a cut screen that led like through the kitchen in a back exit area. Bloody footprints, broken glass, blood everywhere. The police immediately go to 
the hospital to question Darlie to get information about they've done this. Wasn't it like a necklace that generally missed mm-hmm. her? Yeah. Exactly. So they buried the boys together holding mm-hmm. hands. At the funeral, family members had to hold Darlie up because I can't even imagine. Darren and Darlie were totally cooperative with the police. Um, police had told them that they found fingerprints and flesh under Darlie's nails and they made it seem like they were about to find this attacker. So the public had been supportive of her up until this point. But then there's this local news footage that comes out about a week after the murders on June 14th, which was Devin's seventh birthday. They had a little like birthday memorial and it was actually like her mom's idea saying you always throw the best parties for the boys so let's do this and so they had um balloons and they might have had like cupcakes or something but it was like a bunch of kids there and the family and they had silly string so this video is really damning on us honestly like i've heard about this case and heard people talk about that video and once i saw it i was like are you fucking kidding me I don't She's think I've on seen death it, row for this shit. It. Yeah, it's people are fucking ridiculous. Like for thinking she looks so evil in this video. Like it's so fuck. I in my goddamn humble opinion. But anyways, so a local television station went out and shot it because Darlie. You know, like I said, she'd already ha- always had parties. They wanted to have a prayer service, and then later it turned into like the silly string fun little like. Her um, friend said, like, they might have done this silly string thing for, like, 20 seconds. They sang happy birthday. You can hear Darlie and Darren both saying, I love you, Devin and Damon. The reporter asked, why the confetti? Why the balloons? Why the happy birthday song? And Darlie said, because even though we're sad because Devin and Damon aren't here, we're trying to hang on to what we can to get through this. Like, Jesus. Prosecutors and later a juror said on this 2020 interview that they were disgusted by the birthday video and it was so inappropriate. I pretty much hate everybody that prosecutor to say that. Um, but anyways, so a few days later, a police asked the parents to come to the station and they were, you know, kind of excited. They were like, okay, they might be closing mm-hmm. in on someone who might have done this. So... Um, Darlie's mom was like, maybe you guys should get an attorney. And both Darlie and Darren told her innocent people don't need attorney. So police separate Darlene and Dar- Darlie and Darren. They take Darren to the house and have him go through all the night's events. And the police are just like, okay, that's what happened. We believe you. And he was just like, okay, so who did this? And then, uh, later that evening, Darlie's arrested for the murder of Devin and Damon. And of course, family and friends are fucking shocked. Darren's at the police station. He witnesses police high-fiving and celebrating her arrest. And he's just, like, insisting to them from down the hall, like, you're wrong. You have the wrong person. And, of course, now the national press swarms this little town of Rowlett, Mm. Texas. Because, you know, story didn't make sense. It's a perfectly happy 26-year-old woman with children, which, holy shit. Six. Yeah. No criminal history, no history of mental illness. But the media starts to link her case to something that had happened just 11 months prior. So there was a mother named Susan Susan Smith who told police a black man hijacked her car with her children in the vehicle. A huge search ensued for nine days. She was on the news pleading, you know, bring my babies back. But later she broke down and confessed that she drove her car into a lake with her children buckled in their seats. Mm -hmm. So police told Darren she obviously snapped just like Susan Smith. 
Um, Darren said in an interview, like, that that was verbatim what the police said. Um, but the difference is Susan Smith confessed Darlie is innocent. So doubts about the 911 call start going around because of the, I mean, honestly, it's just editing. They've mm-hmm. edited out key information, which misleads you and insinuates that Darlie was creating her own defense, like, within the call. Like, there's this comment where she's like, I touched the knife. Oh, my God. There could have been prints on it. What they left out was the dispatcher saying, now, just hold on. Don't touch anything. And she said, there's a knife. Oh, my God. I touched a knife. And she's like, a knife? Okay, don't touch anything. She said, don't touch anything. They left that completely out. Um, Investigators accused Darlie of inflicting her own near-deadly wounds. Again, it was a fraction of a millimeter away from causing her to bleed to death. And it was, like you said, just a necklace chain that stopped it. Prosecutors called these superficial. Shut up! I hate everyone, I told you. Oh my god! And then they said that the crime scene didn't match because there was broken glass and blood spatter bullshit, which we now know as of 2018 or 19 that blood spatter evidence, fiber evidence, all that shit's bullshit. There was broken glass that was like on top of a like of a little blood spatter and they were like, Oh well, if she was running this way, the blood would be on top of the glass and it's like dude, huh? right? <laughs> it's like that doesn't fucking it doesn't fucking matter. You don't know how the shit was going it on. Doesn't always chaos. Work. Yeah. And and there, this was a situation where they weren't coming into dead bodies, they were coming in to save people. Yeah. It was chaos. So Investigators found no blood in the garage or on the garage window or the wooden fence surrounding the backyard. The windowsills in the garage had layers of dust and the supposed mulch in the flower beds between the garage and the backyard gate were undisturbed. So that's when they issued the arrest warrant. But Darren disproved this theory on the news. The window's big enough you could literally just step your little dip your head and go whoop. You don't have to disturb anything. And there was concrete, not mulch. It was like literally gravel, mulch, and then it met to concrete. There's the window. So Rowlett is a quiet suburban community. These are amateur police who are not experienced in investigating this type of crime. Lab tests also found fingerprints on the garage window that didn't belong to anyone in the Routier household or law enforcement. So it's unclear who left them. Witnesses in the neighborhood said they saw a black car driving around the neighborhood and and a parking near the Rudier home earlier on the same day of the night of the murders. And there was this fucking sock that had both of the boys' blood on the, on the sock. It was in some fucking random alley by a drain. Prosecutors accused, they accused Darlie of planting the sock, but the t- it would have been a 150-yard hike to go plant this sock in some random alley. So the time it would have taken to go plant something which also it's like why would you plant a fucking adult sock with right. a little bit of blood who's but they don't know who's and sock not it a was. knife or whatever right it it wouldn't have worked for like the whole timeline and like the amount of time the boys had to survive mm-hmm. and the nine when the time it will arrive so the police timeline not credible they had to move the trial to Kerrville, Texas, due to the media saturation, and her original court-appointed attorneys actually told her family that moving the trial would be a good idea, but they left out how detrimental a jury selection in a rural conservative town would be for 
this, quote, bombshell young mom. Darren dismissed the court-appointed attorneys and hired Doug Mulder, who was a superstar in the (laughs) Dallas DA's office. This was a death penalty case, which typically clients and attorneys are given months, a year, or even more to prepare their defense. They were only given a few weeks for Darley's. Wow. And it was primarily all character evidence, which usually is not allowed in this type of a fucking uh, trial because it doesn't prove shit about the crime. It's not relevant, but it's like this powerful fucking information because everybody has Mm -hmm. biases and bullshit. State's case is based off character evidence against Darley. This is a direct quote by a prosecutor. They just want her to be they guilty. They said she was self-centered and ma- she was a self-centered woman, a materialistic woman, and she was a woman cold enough to kill her own children. Basically, she was young and beautiful. Wow. Carrie Paris, I'm calling you the fuck out. She's a juror who basically shames the shit out of Darley on 2020 for her what I say are amazing breasts. She's like, what mother goes and gets boobies like that? Like, just like saying all types of bullshit. Said she had a flashy wardrobe and accessories. Like, she was just a hater. The Fruitiers had a little bit of debt. Um, It was blown way the fuck out of proportion. Of course, they were trying to use this as motive. Like, oh, she's so materialistic. She, she wants the yeah. money for herself. and she doesn't want to spend on her son. Blah, blah, blah. But it was actually... They're a totally normal young family with a startup company who own a home and have their own cars and want to live a nice life, and they're Mm -hmm. building the foundation of that. That's the type of debt they have. Everyone has debt. Yeah. And then these fucking prosecutors find Arlie's diary, and they find written in it some sort of apology that they tried to say was like a suicide letter. She was depressed, um, but she never intended to harm herself. She just had like normal postpartum depression after Mm. giving birth to her third baby, Drake. A forensic psychologist said like, postpartum is I want to hurt myself, not I want to hurt my children. And then some more damning evidence. These fingerprints on the screen and this butter knife they found in a drawer, um, they said the fibers on the knife matched the screen, therefore saying it had to be an inside job. But what happened was there was fucking cross-contamination because when they were dusting for fingerprints on the screen, they went and dusted the knives. And so everything just touched everything. And fibers don't tell you shit, as we wow. all know now. So there are huge holes in all the state's evidence. But the defense didn't call any experts to, like, rebut anything. Well, so they only was, had three weeks. Yeah. So it was basically like they would say all this damning shit that was baseless, and then they would not have a response. And then they called this fucking dweeb responding officer as a witness. Darren described this dude as, like, coming to the scene frozen like a deer in headlights. And then during the testimony, this officer was like, no, it was Darley who wasn't. You're trying to cut your ass. Yeah, like, my question is, though, is how did she not, like, was she awake when those cuts and stuff happened to her? There's a theory. Because... Which I actually don't know if I wrote this down. So, there's an... There's late... They're gonna... I don't know if they can test for this, but there's experts who suspect that that sock could have been used with some sort of chemical um, anesthetic or whatever the fuck you put Kinda people to like sleep with. chloroform? Like chloroform. She was probably, like, knocked out because she didn't even notice she was 
injured yeah. until god it was, she was already like calling 911 like she had run around the house and like found everything and like then realized like oh my god she was totally disoriented that's what it sounds like yeah she was just in and out like it sounds like she had fought passed out fought was uh, her son woke her up, and then that's when... Then all she remembers is her son waking up. Yeah. So, a huge fucking what the fuck in the case was when the detectives were being questioned about their investigation and some of their activity during the family's little, like, birthday memorial event. On the stand, all the detectives pled the fifth amendment. Yeah, we're not going to say what? anything. Because... They had set up surveillance with recording devices at the little boy's grave, which is a violation of a federal law. And if they would have testified, she could have been granted a new trial. And if the jury would have been able to see and hear that video and the audio, they would have seen this other side of Darley at that same memorial that showed how broken she was over the boys just yeah. sobbing, you know, hurt. Um, it was definitely... Yeah. Because they didn't want to fucking have to look for somebody. They didn't shit. So then the defense was like, okay, we'll call Darlie to the stand because she thought it was important to her story, which, of course, the prosecutor's going to be abused. Yeah. So it went horribly. He was being baiting and combative, which is what they always do. Mm. And jurors said she didn't show enough emotion, which is like, damned if you do, damned if you don't, if you're a woman. Yeah, it's fucked up. Um, There's a huge gender bias when it comes. Yeah, Darlie actually said in a 2009 interview, she was like, she was like, no offense, but if I were a man, they wouldn't have anything to say about it. It's okay to be strong when you're a man, but you can't be strong when you're a woman. Why not? Like, So that went badly. They said that the silly string tape was played over and over during jury deliberation. So obviously it played a huge role. Um, just from memory, I think they only deliberated like 11 hours. Wow. She was charged with murder and given the death sentence. Following the trial, one of Rudier's attorneys found huge errors in the transcript, which was needed for an appeal. So, uh, court reporter Sandra Halsey refused to answer his answer questions and a state district judge ordered a review and found like there were just it was like insane like she had like taken shit out added new shit like not just little typos wow yeah so 22 late 22 years later darley still doesn't have an execution date and now literally as of 2019 additional dna testing has been agreed to by the courts during an appeal which could lead to a new trial so they're going to do dna on um I think there's a little bit of blood spatter that doesn't match anyone and that, that print. Mm. But until then, Darlie sits on death row, confined to her cell. Just a living that's just, nightmare. That's death. That's um, awful. Oh, my God. Just a living nightmare. This is... They're oh, my goodness. Sweet little angels. There's videos of them. They're just, oh, my God. Like, Devin was a little clown. And something that's interesting that I don't actually know the answer to, she was only charged for Devin's murder. Oh. Yeah. It On everything, it was only Devin. And there wasn't anything that said why? Not that I found. I wonder what that is about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That mullet. Yeah. She, they said that he was a clown, always making people laugh. and I, You know, I've heard def- like several podcasts do that episode, and I just can't help but feel that there's a... They, everyone just thinks that flat out she did it. Really? 
I feel like that that's kind of like the vibe that I get. I disagree. I don't think she did. And I think there's at least way too much fucking reasonable doubt for her to be on mm-hmm. death row. Yeah. Especially with all the holes in the transcripts. It was, I feel like this shit happens. Random fucking people break into houses mm-hmm. and kill children. They kill women. They assault women. They assault children. Yep. It could have just been some fucking random motherfucker. Was the dad clear? in the house. Yeah. So here's some, okay. So there's that whole theory of some random fucker. Then also later on, they found out that Darren actually did participate in some insurance fraud stuff mm. where like stuff would go missing and he'd report, file a claim. And supposedly he had been planning to do something around this, but no one. So. Like do what? Like have a stage of robbery. Yeah. And then another thing is none of their cars were in the driveway that night, so someone could have thought they weren't home. Interesting. um, Because one car was at some shop, and then the other one, Raj, I don't remember the car's driveway. Huh. I think it was just some random piece of shit, psycho, who I don't think she was supposed to survive. I mean, well, look at the Golden State Killer. Like, he had no connection to anybody he raped and murdered. Yeah, this is probably some fucking serial killer, Mm someone we don't know about. or... Or that we do know about. Yeah. This, they could be sitting in, in prison for another murder, and when they do this fucking DNA test, they're going to get him. Fuck, I hope so. Hopefully. I just want her to get out of fucking death row, at least. So sad. And she's in Texas. Yeah. Death row. So sad. Yeah. Um, yeah. This week was a weird week. It was New Year's Eve. Mm-hmm. Everyone thought Thursday was Monday. Yeah. And everyone thought Friday was Tuesday. Um, yeah. I went back to work. What else? I think I thought I did watch something. We watched the Bikram yoga thing today. Oh, oh my, my god. god. That's right. He's a sick, sick man. Totally. How'd that end? He did not horribly. Oh, yeah. He, he, he fled, fled to India. So he's not. He's living life. The state of California owns Bentley. He made up so much laughable shit. He had Bentleys at like multiple. Man, it's all a scam. Just all watch scam. it. Honestly. What was it on Hulu? Netflix. Netflix. What else yeah. have I watched recently? Um, Bob's Burgers, duh. Mm-hmm. It was our last oh, three shit. episodes. Then comes out anytime. I'm ready for season three of Good Girls. Ooh, when does that come out? March? I think, I don't remember. I read a, a post from Retta that said that this is when season three will be announced, will air like on TV real time. So mm. I don't remember when that was. I'm exhausted. Yeah. Shit. Yeah, those were some intense stories. I this know. This is a long episode. Hope you're still hanging around. We both had a lot of shit. Mm-hmm. A lot of names. Yeah. God, all those names. Um, um, well, check us out on Facebook, Women of Death Row Podcast, Instagram, Women of Death Row Podcast. Twitter. Twitter is Women of Death Row Pod. pod. Or just Women of Death Row. Um, I'm sure if you... Google Women of Death Row Podcast. Website, women of death row podcast.com. Um, yeah, Twitter's Women of Death Row. Leave us a rating and a review and subscribe, please. We super appreciate it. I love reading comments. Oh, yeah. <gasps> Those are fun. Leave us lots of comments. Um, what else? Uh, Send us an email. DM <laughs> Easy as that. And we're working on adding our website so that we'll just have, like, all for people who don't, Want to get on social media? It'll have the pictures and info mm-hmm. from the episode. Yep. Boom, boom. And we might add extra stuff on the website too. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Happy New Year. Yep. Bye. Bye. Bye.